We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. All right, welcome everyone. You guys asked for it, and we're delivering. It's the Big Blue Banter meets YouTube. We've been putting this project underway for a long, long time. Both Nick and I have been wanting to get this rolling, but obviously our work schedules have made that a little bit difficult. We're finally trying to get this bad boy up and running. YouTube, Big Blue Banter. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing excellent, man. I'm doing excellent. It's going to be a lot of fun, you know? Get some camera time (laughs) along with the podcast. I think this is a pretty cool setup we have here. You guys can be the judge, but let's get into some mock drafts and some Giants news, bro. Right. So today, for example, what we're going to do on this first YouTube video for the Big Blue Bander podcast, we plan to do a full seven-round Giants-only mock draft. I'm doing my own. Nick's doing his own. Both will run through the Draft Network mock simulator. However... As this page grows and as we move forward to the offseason, we're planning to do a lot of film breakdowns on here. That will be hopefully the crux, or the crux is not the right word, hopefully the base of this YouTube page so we can get out what you guys always said during the podcast. We mention a lot of plays. We talk a lot about what we see on the All-22 film, but it'd be great to coincide with a video breakdown of what we're actually talking about. So that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. But that doesn't have to only be accomplished in season. There's a lot of off-season ideas we have looking back on All-22 that we could put up and we plan to put up on this page as we move forward. Also, the goal will be to get every single podcast on here as well, not necessarily just the plays we're breaking down, but us on the actual podcast. So we got a lot of fun things planned here. I'm pretty excited about the situation. It's going to be a little weird being on camera at first, I think, for both of us, but we'll get the hang of it, hopefully, and we got this awesome background that we set up, or I think it's awesome, so you guys can be the judge of that. But for now, let's get into what we're doing here. We're doing a full, giant, seven-round mock draft using that mock draft simulator from Pro Football Network, or... Sorry, the Draft Network. And so let's start here. I'm going to start with my first-round pick. So as this mock rolled around, it got to 11. I'm Dave Gettleman in this scenario. I'm not Dan Schneier, but I am picking as Dan Schneier. But I'm Dave Gettleman in the sense that I'm not trading this pick. I'm at 11. I know what's going to happen here. Gettleman's never traded a pick. Maybe this will be the year he does it because of Judge. I don't rule it out. I'm getting small hopes that he might. But if, you know, if, of course, they don't take one of the blue chips. But... What I've wanted to do, what I've said I'm going to do the whole time, Nick, is I'm taking a blue chip player here. There's a guarantee of three quarterbacks coming off the board for the Giants. I think likely four, maybe five. Even if it's only three or four, I think there's a good chance the Giants will get a chance at one of these blue chip players. So at 11, sitting on the board for me were the following players. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, wide receiver Alabama, wide receiver Alabama, linebacker Micah Parsons from Penn State. Every single edge in the class was on the board. No one else. Slater, off the board. Penny Sewell, off the board. Kyle Pitts, off the board. Jamar Chase, off the board. So with this pick, I selected Jalen Waddell, wide receiver out of Alabama. For me, it was a toss-up between Waddell and Smith. 
I go back and forth on them every day, but I do think that ultimately I like Waddle more because I think his explosiveness is just a little bit more of a unicorn, unique trait. I like Devontae Smith in the sense, or I said, did I say Smith? I meant Waddle over there. I like Devontae Smith in the sense that I think that his ability to separate against man is important and is unique, but at the same time, what Waddle can do for the scheme and for the system, and maybe not Jason Garrett, but whoever ends up ultimately coordinating this offense for the next four or five years that Waddle is minimum going to be on this roster, can add a lot to this offense overall. I like the potential special teams. You know, we saw last season that Joe Judge wasn't afraid to throw Jabot Peppers back there when they needed to spark onto special teams. Now you have a better guy back there. You have Jalen Waddle, who literally averaged over eight yards per punt return, more than anyone in Alabama history. And you watch him on those returns, and he's a freaking freak out there. But also just the idea of maybe going a little bit more modern on offense, starting to move him into the background, a little pre-snap motion, get him in space, use him as that misdirection piece that the Chiefs always seem to use Terry Kill on. So then you can get Barkley going the other way, Waddle going one way, Barkley going the other way, Kenny Galladay breaking across the middle of the field. And that just seems like a really nice combination right there. And then that doesn't even mention guys like Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, who can be used in a variety of ways when the whole defense is focusing on those three guys. So that's the piece I'm adding here. Um, why did I go with him over Micah Parsons? That's the final thing I guess people would probably wonder. And maybe we'll wrap up with why I went with him over the edge. For me, with Parsons, as I come around to this, and I've done a lot more just thought process, I guess, on the draft, I just don't know if I want to take an off-ball linebacker at 11 unless I'm sure that he can rush the passer. And I think he shows the traits to potentially rush the passer, but I'm not so sure he can potentially rush the passer off the edge on every third down and every passing down. Yeah. And then also there are some, there is some talk about Micah Parsons benefiting from kind of clean downhill like lanes that he kind of took advantage of which again like who knows it, it that's, people's could be nitpicking there but Penn State did have a really good defensive line throughout his time there and he was used as kind of that downhill guy who can really just go downhill and crash every time I, I just I look at Parsons and the position he plays and I feel like they have a better chance of landing that later maybe than they do have a chance of landing a Waddle type or a Smith type and I know that seems counterintuitive to what we've talked about Nick but at the same time this wide receiver class, while it's deep, I don't think there are too many of those um, outside guys later in the draft. I think it's more of those smaller slot guys. And I know Waddle himself is pretty small, but I think he can play the boundary, and I think he can be an advantage there. So that's kind of where I stand at 11. Where did you go, and who was on the board with your 11th pick? So for my 11th pick, actually, it was very similar to yours, but okay. Parsons was selected, I think, to Denver, I want to say, and okay. Patrick Sertan was on the board. And I love Patrick Ooh. Sertan, but I still ended up going with, same as Dan, Jalen Waddle, because I do believe that Jalen Waddle, his impact on this offense for the next five years is going to be significant. If you want Daniel Jones to have success, you need to surround him with playmakers like Jalen Waddle, especially when you have guys like Kenny Galladay already on your roster, Saquon Barkley. I mean, we talked about this a lot on the podcast, Dan. I mean, having Jalen Waddle at the number three or the number two, just taking the top off of the defense, running either vertically, say in this sense, or even horizontally, but say he's going vertically, it's going to open up so much in the intermediate passing game for those dig routes, for those post routes to Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and the tight ends. And I just think he's the best player available at that point, in my opinion. And that is going BPA. People are like, well, look, you know, we have. Kenny Galladay, we added John Ross. Like, why are you bringing in and drafting a Jalen Waddle? It's an embarrassment of riches. But you guys watched Giants football last year. We saw way too much of Damian Ratley. We saw way too much of C.J. Board and those types of guys. And I know we're going to have a lot of players, but this game, there's a lot of injuries, man. There's a lot of injuries, and I don't want to pass up on a game-changing type of talent for a team that could not move the ball right. in an explosive manner last year, like the New York Giants offense. 31st in yards, 31st in points. You bring in Jalen Waddle, you have him for, ten, for potentially five years. He can impact the special teams as well. He is best player available, in my opinion, because Slater was also off the board, and I still think I have Waddle over Slater, but I think you can realistically argue that adding Slater could have a different type of impact on your offense that will be advantageous to you going forward. Right. Whereas Waddle might be BPA, the the way to go, but when you look at the grades of both of those players, they're similar, mm -hmm. you know? So I can argue, yes, I, I'd be cool with going Slater there because you need to ensure that Daniel Jones can throw the football. But I ended up going with Jalen Waddle there, and I would be really happy with Jalen Waddle as the pick. I mean, we're trending towards speed. 
the rules of the NFL are mm-hmm. going towards receivers. They're going towards speed. Why not add somebody who literally has Tyreek Hill type of speed? And that's not even really hyperbolic, no. man. He literally, you just watch him cut angles of SEC safeties and cornerbacks where they're like, oh, we'll have a beat on this guy. He hits a third gear, and he's just gone, man. Like, yeah. I want to see that on Sunday, and I really think that can help Daniel Jones. Now, Daniel Jones, he is not fully proven yet. We are not sure what we have with him. But if you bring in a Jalen Waddle and the offensive line, takes a step from vastly mediocre to average. I mean, I think this offense, even with Jason Garrett, Cord, mediocre. I like how you term that. <laughs> yeah, I think they could take that step from uh, even with Jason Garrett as the play caller. Sure. If he uses him in the right way, and again, it's not just oh he's going to take the top. He's a deep vertical threat. Nah, man, you get him the football in space to the yes. field side on these little quick screens, quick tunnel screens, makes one man miss. That's a ten yard gain. At least. At least. Yeah. You know? And that's just going to keep the clock moving. Then you got to worry about Saquon Barkley. It's like defensive coordinators really have to worry about the New York Giants. It's not just, oh, let's just put eight men in the box right. like it was in 2019 with Pat Shermer's offense. We're going to put eight men in the box, and we're just going to stop Saquon Barkley, like what Greg Williams did with the Jets. They just right. shot gaps, and Saquon Barkley couldn't get anything Steelers going. did the same thing, by the way, in the week yep. one of the 2020 season. Yeah, and Daniel Jones actually ended up throwing, what, two touchdown passes to Darius Slayton yeah. in that game as well. And, uh, I mean, I wish we saw more of that last year, but I, I'm, I would be fine with Jalen Waddle. I really just think he's a difference-making type of playmaker. And you and I, we ended up going with the same thing, but I feel like our board ended up falling in a similar manner yes, as well. we're right? using the same mock draft simulator. Yeah. And let's just make this clear. We did not discuss these picks before doing this. We have no idea who we took. So if we have similar ones or different ones, it'll be a surprise to us. And one thing I also want to add as we roll through this process, you guys can let us know feedback-wise if it's better when we're looking at the camera directly at you guys or looking at each other. We're just trying to feel this all out. Neither of us have too much experience on camera. But I will say this about what you mentioned as far as Waddle the pick. I would be very excited with Waddle as a pick. I'm pretty much going to be excited with any of Waddle, Sewell, who's not going to happen, but maybe Slater, or Smith or Chase as the, or Pitts as the picks. If any of those six are the picks, I'm actually going to be excited. More than not just okay with that, I'm going to be excited. And one thing that you mentioned when it comes to the Giants here and when it comes to Jalen Waddle is it's not just testing speed of Waddle. Obviously, he didn't test, so who knows. But GPS tracking data, which is not actually widely released and I believe really should be widely released because it's the only thing that actually matters to me. The 40 time means nothing. You're in shorts and shells and you're not in football pads with a helmet on. But when you're actually on the field, he had by far and away the fastest GPS tracked speed in 2020 of any player on the field. So to me, that is difference-making juice. That is difference-making speed there. And there was another thing you mentioned with, regarding Waddle that I'm trying to double back on and think a little bit more about, and it's, you know, how will he be used in this Jason Garrett offense? One thing I would like to see change if they draft someone like Waddle is to mix and incorporate more of these mid-to-deep crossers into the game. Because somebody like Waddle on a deep crosser, on a, a deep over, I should call it. That's okay. what they call it now, these, yeah. these over routes. These like mid-to-deep over routes, you get him working, and I saw a clip of one where he's working the over all game against the team, and then he has one play where he works the over, pivots, stops, basically so is able to just smoothly pivot, break back away, yeah. and he's wide open because everyone's expecting that deep over. So a lot more crossing, a lot more routes that break towards it. If you add someone like this as Jason Garrett, as a coordinator, you need to immediately pivot your mindset, in my mind, on how you're going to run this offense because you now have a difference maker when it comes to speed. And you mentioned before, he's just, when you watch his film, you see him destroying angles. And I talked about this on the podcast with Scott Barrett that you weren't on, but I talked about this with him and he agreed. It's like, he's like, I haven't seen anyone like that. Who did he mention? He mentioned, I haven't seen anyone like this in Tyreek Hill. I was like, you know who I haven't seen? You know who he reminds me a little bit of on tape? Odell Beckham Jr. before the injuries because that's who was destroying angles. The Baltimore Ravens game, the yeah. fourth and four, where Eli threw that little slant at Beckham and he just destroyed... Uh, who was it? The guy who's now on the Rams and he retired. Uh, the safety. Eric Weddle. Eric Weddle on that angle just destroyed him and he had no chance. And it is Eric Weddle. He's not the past safeties, but he's a smart safety who understands angles. And it didn't matter. He had the right angle on Beckham. And I see that a lot with Jalen Waddle. So I'd be super excited about this pick. All right, let's move on to pick 42. And we'll talk about this on another podcast, but this is actually the area of the draft I'm hoping the Giants trade out of at 42. Now, it's going to be tougher if another Xavier McKinney-type value falls to them there. Yeah. But having said that, there's such a depth here of offensive linemen that I like at this pick and even potential edge guys that I would be okay trading out of this pick. In this mock, I did no trades, and I know you did the same thing. So in this mock, I took actually Alex Leatherwood, Alabama, offensive tackle, offensive guard, I'm going to say, over his teammate Landon Dickerson, who's a popular Giants mock pick on the board, over Liam Eichenberg, the offensive lineman out of Notre Dame. I took him over Gregory Rousseau, who was also on the board. 
So we talked about earlier. I took him over Creed Humphrey, the center out of Oklahoma. I took him over Dylan Redunds. I took him over Joe Tryon, who I've seen people mock up there, the defensive end. Joseph Asai was on the board. I took him over all those guys. For me, why I landed on Leatherwood over maybe Landon Dickerson, Liam Eikenberg, those types of offensive linemen, even Creed Humphrey. Is I love the versatility of, of Alex Leatherwood. He started his career at Alabama at guard, kicked over to the outside to tackle, and most of his deficiencies that I hear and read and see about him are just because he plays the tackle position, and it's just him on an island in pass protection. But if he up into the Giants, you can move him inside the guard where he started. I actually think he'll be really good for them in guard. And then he also gives you that same Rashawn Slater thing where you have the guard tackle uh, experience. So um, immediately if you have struggles with Matt Parrott or if Nate Solder is just completely done, which is, by the way, in the realm of possibility. Right? This guy takes yeah. a year off, was already showing signs of problems bending in 2019 and 20, uh, 2018. He could be just done, Nate Solder. It's very possible. He took a huge pay cut. They're not really, it seems like they're not expecting yeah. too much. And if Parrot and him are bad, then you have a chance to put Leatherwood out there, which you might not with a Landon Dickerson or a Creed Humphrey. Those guys, I feel like, are more kind of bound for the inside. So you still get that versatility out of that pick, but also you hopefully put him at guard, because I do kind of agree with some of the things you've said and I've read, which is like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to be able to hold up and pass pro on an island as a tackle. So that's why I went there. Who did you go with your 42nd pick, and then we can kind of just, because I think you might have went a different direction. I did go a different okay. direction. I went with, a, so the way I look at these these offensive linemen, you have guys who kind of classify as offensive guards and offensive tackles, and then you have guys who classify as offensive centers and offensive guards. And Leatherwood falls into that offensive tackle, offensive guard. I went with somebody who falls into the offensive center, offensive guard, and that okay. is Creed Humphrey yes. from Oklahoma, somebody that I love, tested incredibly well, just very, very good blocker in terms of using angles, in terms of controlling the point of attack with his hand use. He's not the strongest guy Mm -hmm. in the game, but that's not a liability of his whatsoever. And I think he can step in and he can move to guard, even though he played, I want to say, every one of his snaps at center. In 2018, I think it was, they won the best offensive line. Uh, The Oklahoma, that was when they had Cody Ford, and they had a bunch of guys who ended up going and drafted in the second round and stuff like that. He was the best lineman then, and that was when he was like a redshirt sophomore or just a sophomore or something like that. So I would really love this addition. I've been kind of talking a lot about Creed Humphrey. I think he has all the athletic traits and all the he has the power to do it. Maybe not the elite in terms of strength, but he has the anchoring ability, adjusts the counters, does all those things really, really well. Big fan of what he can bring. Now, to circle back to Alex Leatherwood, I think Alex Leatherwood could be a solid player, but there are concerns, man. I feel like he allows edges get to that outside shoulder and establish the half-man relationship way too much, commits his hips up the arc too much as well, and his footwork is a little bit wonky, but he had those, what, like 35-plus-inch arms, so he was right. able to kind of get away with it. But you watch some tape, man, like Aziz Ojolari just kind of getting up into his that half-man, up into that outside shoulder, and it's just like you, you don't want him to do that. You want him to be in a better position. You don't want him to... You don't want the edge rusher to dictate when you have all that length. And that's something that I kind of did not like about Leatherwood's mm. tape. I think he's a functional athlete. I think he has good strength. I think he's a really good run blocker. So I like all of those things about right. him. And I agree. He has that versatility to where he could possibly kick inside the guard. He has enough movement ability to take those steps and pull at the backside guard. I think all those things are true. But I ended up going with Creed, who's more of that interior offensive lineman. And I think he could play center. This is a conversation not a lot of people are talking about. Mm. I love Nick Gates as center this year. I thought he played well. But our expectations for him were really low. Now, I think if they add someone like Creed Humphrey, then you just have this versatility between who can play center, who is the better fit at center between Creed and Nick Gates. Nick Gates has proven that he can play guard in the NFL as well. Right. So you can just it just adds another layer of versatility where it's not like, okay, Nick Gates is definitely our center. Because say if Shane Lemieux continues to struggle or Will Hernandez continues to struggle, you still have Nick Gates if you draft somebody like Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey can possibly play guard. It just gives you more options on the interior, which is my biggest concern. I think for the tackle position, I think that right side is a concern, but I don't think the Giants are going to address that in this draft, really. I think if they address tackle, it's going to be like an Elijah Vera Tucker or a Sean Slater, somebody like that that can possibly kick inside. Because I believe they're like, oh, we just spent a top 100 pick on Matt mm-hmm. Pair. Why are we going to take another strictly tackle person. Leatherwood doesn't fit that, but there are guys like Samuel Cosme who fit right. that and players like that. Dylan Redunds is somebody who could probably be kicked inside mm-hmm. as well. But, um, yeah, I honestly, like, if I was in that, if I was going with somebody who was more of a tackle, now Liam Eikenberg, I don't believe he's played 
uh, inside, but he's somebody that I would probably have went with over someone like Alex Leatherwood. Just my personal opinion. Right. Eichenberg doesn't jump off the tape whatsoever, but he just you'd never really hear from him because he's so technically sound. Not mm. the best athlete in the class, but just technically sound, understands angles, knows how to win at the point of attack, uses his hands very, very well, very, very smart, sees the defense, doesn't get fooled on stunts, twists, and all those types of things. I think he's an unsexy pick, but a pick that's going to be a solid right tackle in the NFL, like like a Brian Belaga kind of thing. Somebody who's just been in the NFL for a while, you're like, yeah, damn, man, that guy's been a really good tackle for them, you know? So that's kind of my assessment. But I still think Leatherwood at that value, I mean, I think that's the solid. I mean, they were talking about him as a top 10 pick last year. Yeah, he was He was talked about last year as better than Jedrick Wills. Some people thought he was a better prospect than yeah, Jedrick Wills. I remember that. And I think that also he might have been at his best. Did you get a chance to watch any of his tape at guard? Because I've been reading he was at his best no. at guard, which also intrigues me because it's like that's really ultimately where I think the goal for this Giants – if you're right now, you're drafting a blueprint for where this Giants offensive line will be in 2022, not this offseason. Let's say you're heading into next offseason. We're at this exact same time next year, let's say, right before the draft. I think your goal, if you're the Giants right now, I know it's their goal, and it's our goal too, is Matt Part has Matt Parrott has taken a big step forward, and he's locked in at right tackle. Andrew Thomas continues to build on what he showed in the second half. He's locked in at left tackle. So now what you really need is a guard to replace Will Hernandez, and potentially, in my mind, I'm still standing by this, a guard to replace Shane Lemieux. I'm far, far from sold on Shane Lemieux. I don't really understand the Lemieux thing. I guess he's okay as a run blocker. Whatever, we'll see what happens there. But at minimum, you're looking to replace, you're looking to have a new starting guard. And I think Leatherwood could be that guy. Maybe necessarily you're saying potentially Liam Eichenberg can kick in there. Or what you're saying, which is even more interesting, is maybe Creed Humphrey takes over at center. Or though you do say he can play guard. And then you have. It's a projection, though. It is a projection. It's a projection. So yeah. is, I mean, most of these, I mean, a lot of these yeah. change in position. Dylan Redon, that's a projection, too. Yeah. They're all kind of projections if they didn't play that position, in my opinion. But potentially you have Nick Gates and then kick, kick, kick the yard. Would that be your kind of – if you put – or I'm sorry, if you had Creed Humphrey at center, would Nick Gates be your guard or would you be looking upgrade yes. there? I mean, I, would, I think Nick Gates is capable of handling mm-hmm. guard assignments. We saw that. And honestly, he improved his strength, it seemed like, from 2019 to 2020. Because right. we were like – I mean, my, I had concerns. I would be the first one to admit it that he wouldn't be able to take on – those nose tackles head-to-head on odd fronts, but he did so relatively well, especially when you're center. You could also use the guard to kind of help you chip in those situations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think he could make that move. He shows plenty of movement skills and space to be able to do it. He pulled several times when they would do those double pullers dependent right. dictating on the defensive front, and his locating ability in space was also pretty good. So I think that's in the realm of possibility. I think it just gives you more uh, versatility if Creed yeah. Humphrey couldn't play guard, saying he had to play center, which is still, it's again, a projection, but probably unlikely. It's interesting. It's kind of like we're kind of going... Similar ideas, just different. We're looking at different spots where we want the versatility and I guess the depth that I would want a guy like Leatherwood because I know I could potentially put him at right tackle yeah. if all else fails with Parrot, who was again just I, we love Parrot, but let's keep in mind he was basically not he was barely taken in the top 100. Like how many? Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more with the Credit Karma Money Spend Account. You can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. 
And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. You could look through history at how many offensive tackles are selected after 75th overall, and you would see the percentage of actual NFL hits, and you'd be stunned at how low it was. You'd be absolutely stunned because there's so many swings teams are taking in that range that ultimately just don't even have any NFL career whatsoever. Um, so, again, I like Parrot, but I want to keep that in mind. And then I guess the other thing would be with hum- with a player like Humphrey, if you add him in, ultimately I do want to keep Nick Gates at center. That's kind of my goal for this offensive line. I really liked what I saw. I know the expectations were low, but as I watched that film, like I started with those expectations being really low. And for me, they actually I, he rose the bar on where I expected and what I expected to see from him on a week-to-week basis because – you just watch that All-22, and you rarely see him making any mistakes. You always see him helping. And I guess a lot of centers are doing that, but it just felt so... And maybe it's because I was used to watching Jalapeo and Pulley. It really could be because of that. I don't know, Nick, but after watching two straight years of what they had at center on this All-22 as part of our job, and then going to that tape of Nick Gates, it just looked to me like such a night and day difference. Like nothing I saw at any other position, really, on the entire team besides maybe what we got from Bradbury. But even back in 2018, there were still some solid reps from Janoris Jenkins there at corner. So it's like, I don't know. I just It could be, again, having Pulley and Jalapeo just as bad as they could have been. It's just really just bottom-level, replacement-level centers. Yeah. But I don't know, and I would love to see him grow at center, Nick Gates, and I'd love to see what he can do with another year at the same position. So, And, and again, like you said, Humphrey can transition a guard, so you, it's kind of a good problem to have. It's just kind of where do you want to go with the depth. But anyway, to recap a little bit what we've done so far, Nick's mock has Jalen Waddle at 11, and then he has Creed Humphrey at 42. I've got Jalen Waddle at 11, and then I've got Alex Leatherwood, the Alabama tackle guard, at 42. All right, let's move on to round three at number 76 overall. This was a pick that I would be happy to rush to the podium, a rush to the podium pick for me. It's a player who I've just fallen in love with over the last few weeks as I've started to watch more of him, as I've started to read more about him, as I've started to listen to other people break him down more. And then I know you went through the tape, so you can talk about him if he's not your pick and he's just my pick before you get to your pick. We'll see if we have the same one here. And that is Houston edge pass rusher Peyton Turner. So I took Turner... On the board at the time was Chaz Surratt, a linebacker who I actually like a lot and I think could be a decent pick for the Giants there, an interesting pick, not at really a position of major impact, I guess, off-ball linebacker, but I'm interested. Dwayne Eskridge, a receiver who I really like. Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, Quinn Miners was on the board, who's an interesting offensive lineman there. Quinte Roche was on the board. That was an easy call for me. I would never take a prospect like Roche over someone like Turner. Paulson Adebo, a player we talked about earlier in the process, who went, you know, before that last season was a first-round pick potentially. I didn't love him that much. Um, and then Trey Smith, a player who I know you're not a huge fan of, was on the board as well. I went with Peyton Turner here for a variety of reasons. I'm big on taking swings at edge. In my opinion, when you're targeting edge players after the first five picks of the draft class, maybe ten, like... There's so few great edge prospects that it's usually five. It's usually just like kind of like a class like it was last year, Chase Young and nothing else, or like you, maybe you might get lucky with Montez Sweat because he has heart problems or whatever it was. He drops to 19, you get lucky. Brian Burns drops to 16, you get lucky. But outside of that top 20 range, you're really just, in my opinion, throwing darts. And so I'm not going to throw a dart on a guy like Quincy Roche, who I know has good pass rush moves, who I know can get some cleanup sacks, but maybe not, because maybe that jump to the next level just totally ruins his game. I've seen that with a lot of prospects who profile like a Quincy Roche. I'd rather get a guy like Peyton Turner, who's six foot five, 270, had an unbelievable, unbelievable testing score. So three cone, which shows off his agility, which is then matched by the tape that you watch. You watch him bend the edge. You watch him make a quick inside move and just destroy tackles. Yes, he's going against bad tackles. Yes, he's playing for Houston in a crappy conference. But he also got to go up against uh, the kid from BYU. People are talking up as a mid-round pick. Is it Hayden Christensen? Is that Braden, Braden or, Christensen? Or uh, Brandon Christensen. Brandon Christensen, yeah. The kid from BYU. Oh, Brady. Brady. Is it Brady or Brandon? We don't know. We're blanking on this guy. It's Brady. It's Brady. Brady Christensen, the kid from BYU. 
and he looked good against him. So then you have the little bit of good competition tape, but mostly it's just what you see tools-wise. You see the size, you see the length, you see the quickness and agility, you see the speed up the arc, you see... and you, I mean, he had a play on tape that somebody put on Twitter, I think it was Ledyard or somebody, that I watched and I was reminded of Justin Tuck from his rookie preseason season. There was a play where Turner was on one side of the formation, the running back was streaking down the field the other, he crossed field and chased down a running back from the opposite side of the field. This reminds me of Justin Tuck in his rookie preseason when he made the exact same play. Excuse me. <coughs> My bad, guys. When he made the exact same play as a rookie in the preseason at 270 pounds. This kid is also 270 pounds. 270 pounds, six foot five people should not be able to move like this guy does. So if he's somehow there at 76, which ultimately I'm not sure he will be, but it's possible, but after his testing it seems unlikely. If he's there at 76, this is going to be my favorite value pick of the whole draft. Yeah, I 100% agree, and it ended up being the same pick because I went with Peyton Turner as well. I mean, you're talking about a guy with an 84 and 1/8 inch wingspan, ran a 4.25 short shuttle and jumped 35 and a half inches in the vert spot with those long arms, doing 23 reps on the bench and running a sub 7.3 cone. And the film also checks out in terms of just hustle, competitive toughness, a little bit raw, I would say, but... The athletic traits and the measurables all check out to to a player who's available in the third round who can do a lot of different unique things. He's not somebody who's dropping into coverage consistently, right. but his athletic traits, or at least the, what he tested, suggest maybe he could do that to the boundary, kind of like what Kyler Fackrell was. He wasn't the ideal person you wanted dropping into the boundary, but he did it adequately. I think Peyton Turner could do that, but Peyton Turner can definitely get after the pass rusher or be a pass rusher who can get after the quarterback and defeat one-on-one tackles with a little bit more development. So I think that he's just a player. Maybe he's not great against the run right now, but I think that can also improve. I just love his size-speed combination at this part of the draft, and that's why I ended up going with him as well. So I love that BYU tape, like you said, against Brady Christensen. So I, I really like this pick, and if that happens, I would be happy, especially if the Giants were to neglect the edge position for the first two rounds, which is something I kind of do not think they're going to do. Yeah, ultimately, I'm not so sure they are going to do it, but I, if this was how the board shook out, this is how I would want them to do it. Because at 42 for me, I don't know if he was on the board for you, but um, Penn State uh, Jason Penn State edge Jason Owe was not on the board for me. If he was on the board, I probably would have taken him over Leatherwood, unless, of course, I could have somehow known that Peyton Turner was going to be there at 76. Yeah. This is my ideal. Like As far as the edge position goes, this is literally my ideal way edge plays out for the Giants in this draft. They get Peyton Turner with that 76 overall pick. There's nothing better from a value standpoint for me. You know, you can make the case to me that Jason O at 42 would be close, but I'd rather have this. I think they're they're not similar athletes, but because obviously Peyton Turner is longer and bigger than Jason Owe is, but and Jason Owe is probably a little bit more freakishly explosive off the edge, so, has yes. a little bit more straight line speed, which is a little bit overrated, but whatever. Like, he ran that 4-4, four, four, or he ran, like, whatever he ran at the like Penn State four. Pro Day. Yeah. yeah, Like, the fake, the Penn State's actually been known, just so you guys know this, um, there was a study done that Penn State has inflated their Pro Day numbers more than any other team um, relative to Combine previous to this year, so just keep that in mind, but... Regardless, that 40 times is going to mean pretty much nothing in my mind. And for a defensive end, it means absolutely nothing. But having said that, he does seem a little bit of like a better athlete that you can maybe craft into a better pass rusher. Plus, he comes from that Penn State defensive system that's kind of similar to what Graham runs. And they have Spencer. They have like ideas. So it's why they liked... Um, What's his name last year? Why am I blanking on his name? Etier Grossmatas. Etier Grossmatas. It's why they ended up drafting Brown, Cam Brown. So it's like they have all these players from that system that could potentially fit in this defense. So that's interesting to me, but this would be my ideal setup. So the way this went down, uh, just to recap, Nick went Jalen Waddle in the first, wide receiver out of Alabama, Alabama. Nick went Creed Humphrey, offensive center, who may be able to convert to guard in the second round of 42, and then Nick went... Peyton Turner, Houston Edge, pass rusher at 76. I went with Jalen Waddle at 11. I went with Alex Leatherwood at 42. And then I went with Peyton Turner at 76. And it is interesting what you said. Group think, guys. <laughs> exactly. We did not do this together. We had no idea. What you said, though, I think is interesting. And it's probably a topic for another podcast, another content piece. But will the Giants be willing to be patient at Edge? Or are they going to get really antsy at Edge and try to get who they want. Because you said you think that this is unlikely that it plays out like this, that they wait till 76 for edge. Why do, you, why do you say that? I just think that they really look at their roster and they want to add an edge. I think a lot of people have brought this up, and I think there is validity to it. 
the Leonard Floyd situation. I mean, they really wanted to add Leonard Floyd. But they're number one target in free agency. Exactly. Over Gallet. Which is scary to me because, I mean, I don't really – I mean, Leonard Floyd's a nice player, but I would not want to give him the contract that they were not looking to give him. Not with that injury him. history. No, not, not with that and just with – Playing with that defense. Playing with that, with that defense. Exactly, where everything is dictated by Aaron Donald, where yes. Aaron Donald lines up and the yes. kind of double teams he commands that yes. allows a lot of single one-on-one matchups or even just backside plays from someone like Leonard Floyd. Well, I do wonder if, like, just based on what you just said, if they were thinking in their minds with that, like, we have Aaron Donald light – with Leonard Williams, and we could get something similar. I don't know. Very that, light. <laughs> yeah, it's not even it's like as a poor man's version of Aaron Donald. That they're not even really comparable players. But um, I wonder if that's what they were thinking with the with the Floyd thing. But yeah, go on. No, but I mean, I just think they may look at this and say we're going to get one of these edges in the first two rounds, and maybe a little stubborn about it. I do yeah. believe they love like the Kyle Pitts and the Alabama wide receivers, which could make them not go edge mm-hmm. in the first round. But there's just something about it that makes me think they're going to want to get like a top five edge on their board. I don't know if Peyton Turner is going to check that box. I mean, I like Peyton Turner. I think he can convert speed to power. He has the stab chop written move. I just have some of his notes written down here. Gets to the half man relationship well. Can turn and corner his hips into the pocket. Has good bend for somebody of that size Great and weight. Bend for that, good so. first step. Good first step or second and third step. He has all of those traits. He just needs, he needs a little bit more development. Mm-hmm. I would say get a little bit stronger against the run. I would love that to get him that they're. I don't think the Giants are going to take that risk. I think they view Edge as a huge problem right now, and it makes sense. Why not view it as a huge problem when two of your, I guess you could say, the guys you would consider starters going into week one are coming off pretty serious yeah. injuries. So it makes sense from that standpoint. I just don't like forcing it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially drafting an Edge over some of these more talented players that may be available. So that's really when you look at the first pick, because these five, possibly five quarterbacks going ahead of the Giants, man, that's going to push so much talent down. And we talk about that. That's excellent for the New York Giants. It's mm-hmm. excellent for everybody picking in the uh, early teens and around the New York Giants. It's excellent for the Cowboys. But mm-hmm. the Giants, I mean, they could view it still as, oh, they got our top edge. And that's still something that, I mean, draft day will, will tell in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think doubling back to the point you made that I think was the most interesting there, just to discuss a little further before we move on in our mock draft. It's the idea of, like, as you're building out a roster, how much of a focus do you want to put on filling out needs? Because what you said is true. The Giants could very well be in the right in viewing Edge as a dire situation right now because they have Lorenzo Carter coming off injury, because they have O'Shane Zimmons coming off injury, because they didn't sign Kyler Fackler. I know they added Ryan Anderson, who, you know, you don't really want playing too many snaps off the edge, I don't think. Oh, Denebo as and well. And Denebo, who... They may be able to play more snaps than people are expecting. But at the same time, they may be viewing it as a major need. But in that sense, it's like, I just can't get on board in my mind at least, especially after this team finished 12th in sacks with, the, with what they had at edge last year. And I see no way the edge situation could be worse than it was last year. No way. I mean, <laughs> injuries could make it possible and make me eat those words. But more than likely, they're going to have a better injury luck this year as far as that goes. Plus, they also added the two players we just discussed about. Last year was just Fackrell. Now we have two players potentially to play off that edge. Maybe you have more development of a player like Cam Brown. Maybe you have more development of a player like, I don't know, maybe Carter Carter Coughlin, who could potentially develop into that as well, like you said. So I just feel like there's more bodies than people think there at the edge, especially for the way they run this defense. And so then you think about, like, do you really want to be drafting like that, where you're forcing position, you're taking players based on the position they play? In my mind, no, you never want to do that. I think I could go, like, four classes without an edge, potentially, if there's no one worth taking, and I'd be fine with it. And when I say that, I mean without an edge at 11 or with your top first-round pick. Yeah. So if they were to take a guy, let's say, like Peyton Turner at 42, I'd be fine with that risk. I'd be fine taking a chance on Peyton Turner at 42 if maybe like Jason O was not there or you know none of the guys we talked about in the first round, Aziz, Ojolari, any of those guys, all off the board. I'd personally be fine with taking a swing on Peyton Turner at 42 as well or you trade down a little bit into the, into the mid-50s and you take a guy like Peyton Turner. All that intrigues me as well, but the thing that doesn't really intrigue me is taking an edge at 11, and I'm just not going to get on board with that. I don't think throughout this. I think that's where I'm settled in on that one. Um, and then really, like, once you get into that 76 range, that 116, that 196 range, that's when you start to take kind of just more swing dart throws at that position as well. Those guys may be drafted and may not even ever beat out the guys currently on the depth chart at all in year one. It's possible. So we'll find out. Let's move on to day three, where at 116 overall, I doubled up. I am not at all opposed to, uh, what do they call it, cluster drafting. I do not ever draft for need. 
That's not my strategy. I would never draft for need. So I'm fine here taking the best value on the board, and I think that's Illinois offensive lineman Kendrick Green, who I took over Notre Dame offensive lineman Aaron Banks, who we've discussed. I took him over LSU interior defensive lineman Tyler Shelvin, who they can maybe try to convert into that Dalvin Tomlinson role if they drafted him. I took him over NC State interior defensive lineman Lee McNeil, who have actually seen some really good stuff on lately, and John Ledyard kind of mentioned him as the best fit for this style of defense on our podcast with John. I took him over Edge Victor Demu... I never know how to pronounce this guy's name. Demu KJ from Duke, which I just think would be cool to get a Duke edge. I took him over Patrick Jones, the Pittsburgh edge, who I think is just getting killed now in the pre-draft process. I don't think he's that bad of a player. He has really good... Uh, stats, you know, really good pressure stats. And I took him over UCLA defensive, interior defensive lineman, Osa Odigazua. So for me, Green here, every time I've watched him in Big Ten play, he's been really good. The guys I know who cover the Illinois football team rave about him, say he's going to be an incredible value in this draft, he's going to be a 10-year starter. They say he's by far and away the best player on that team, but not even close. They, The guy I talked to actually thinks that, um, what's his name, the guy who we're giving praise to on the podcast was Zach Um. Amir Turbal, I don't know how to pronounce uh, this guy. Josh Amaterbebe. Josh Amaterbebe. He thinks he won't be able to get any separation at the NFL level. He's probably going to struggle I, a little bit. I would not draft him at all, but he said, this kid, Kendrick Green, I would prioritize getting a player like this on your roster. Thinks he'll be an absolute stud of value. So at 116, if I get a player like this to lock it up for me, now I have Leatherwood on my roster, I have Green on my roster. I now have so much more depth going into the season and talent on the offensive line in case Lemieux, Hernandez, Paired. Solder. All suck, which is definitely possible. If all four of those suck, which is not out of realm possibility. We don't want it to happen. We don't think it's going to happen. So don't confuse this as us saying that's going to happen. But it's possible. And if it does, we now have depth and talent. And two players who I really like, Landon Dickerson, I'm sorry, Alex Leatherwood and um, Kendrick Green at Illinois. So where'd you go with this pick? I like that. I really do. Okay. And I honestly haven't gotten around to Kendrick Green's film yet. I actually watched him Matter Bay Day, but I didn't really have the necessary all 22 to really break down right. the offensive line, especially the interior offensive line. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have many notes on Kendrick Green, but I have heard good things from people I respect in the community. But I ended up kind of doubling down as well, man. Okay. And I went with an interior offensive lineman, and it was Aaron Banks, who okay. was just a brute mountainous type of man in the interior parts of the offensive line who actually played some tackle when Eichenberg got hurt for Notre Dame. He's the Notre Dame guard, and I believe that he's just somebody who – Anchor for days, great posterior strength, generates a lot of power from his lower body, can just pave guys as a play side down blocker for like counter trade play. And I do believe he has enough mobility to kind of kick. He's a little bit boxy, and I know that reminds a lot of people of Will Hernandez a little bit. But I've seen this guy climb to the second level and just use his immense length to just not allow people to get around him. He's right. a mountain of a man. He has functional athletic ability. I would say it's probably solid, which is which is a good thing for somebody of this size. You're getting him at pick 116. I think adding him to this interior offensive line just creates more competition. I think he's a better pass protector right now than someone like a Shane Lemieux. I think that as a run blocker, he's going to get more power, pave more, uh, just pave the way on those down blocks, they set up to the play side better than either Will Hernandez or Shane Lemieux. And I think you could outright win that job over those two. You need to create competition. You need to create competition in the interior offensive line right now. So I think adding Aaron Banks here is one of those BPA type of things for me because I really like this player and I do believe that he can have a big impact for this offense and kind of allow the best player to just rise to the top and start and not have to be like, well, we have Will Hernandez and we have uh, good old Shane Lemieux. Right. And now if you even add Creed Humphrey, that's another player. I want to foster an environment of competition. That's what Joe Judge preaches. And right here at 116, getting a value like Aaron Banks makes sense. Similar to Kendrick Green from what I've heard, but I can't speak from my eyes just because I haven't seen or evaluated him. Yeah, I think you're spot on here. I think the key here is fostering an environment of competition, talent, of depth, all things that I think are necessary in the offensive line. It's very similar. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's similar to me to the bullpen in baseball. You have, you never should rest on your laurels. You should never look at it like we have enough guys. Why do you think the Cowboys don't do that? Cowboys have set offensive line, and they yeah. continue to draft offensive linemen that falls to them at that they believe are values because they understand the importance of the position. They understand what's going to happen as far as injuries go, as far as you know, some guys just take a step back or are playing hurt and are not playing at the same level and they need to be replaced because they're damn liability. I don't really think that there's really any other position in the NFL that when you're 
when you have a really bad player, it's more of a liability than the offensive line, besides obviously quarterback, which yeah. shouldn't even be considered in that conversation. But as far as the rest of the positions go, when you have a liability at offensive line, it is so much more glaring and so much more impactful in a negative way on your football team than any other position in the NFL, in my opinion. I don't even think it's close. So because of that, I really do believe that this is a good plan to go two offensive linemen in these first 116, in these first four picks for the Giants. Yeah, and Will Hernandez is going to be a free agent. That's yes. another huge part about this. Mm-hmm. And like you said, or like we've said in the past, I should say, Joe Judge does like to use these units at offensive line. Now, is he just trying to see who his best five are? Is he trying to keep offensive linemen fresh? I'm not really in his head, so I don't exactly know. But that's another reason why I feel like this point of the draft, you can add more interior offensive yes. linemen, especially when the projected starters aren't great. They're, yeah. they're not really even proven at this point. No. One has been a bust, really. I mean, Will Hernandez has not lived up oh, to for that. for 34th overall pick. pick. Total bust. Absolutely. And then Shane Lemieux, it's like, yeah, he's a solid guy for a fifth-round pick, but still, solid. You want to upgrade that a little bit, especially in pass protection, which I feel like Aaron Banks can help with. Yeah, I think if you take the big blue bubble out, which is unfortunately what a lot of people are just so stuck in the big blue bubble, and you look, you ask, like, let's say, 30 analysts for 31 other teams, and you ask them for an honest evaluation if they have the time to evaluate the film, they'd say, Will Hernandez, when you take a guard at 34 and it's year four and he's at best an average player, that is considered a bust. Because yes. guard and IDL and running back are positions that if you draft high, they better be they better be above average. And you look at Kane Lemieux, and if you actually ask people to watch the film outside of Giants fans in this bubble, they'd be like, he was one of the worst guards in the NFL because he was okay in the run. He wasn't like the greatest run blocker in this new role. And he was really bad in pass protection, like really bad. Like we saw it on all 22. Week after week, there was a minimum of one snap where he was just completely destroyed off the line, off the snap by not even the best of interior defensive linemen. Like, pretty good, okay. Like the William Golstons of the world. Yeah, like the William, when you have the William Golstons of the world destroying you in pass, it's not good. And so, like, I don't feel as good as Shane Lemieux, about Shane Lemieux as all these other Giants fans seem to see and maybe feel, I should say, and maybe some of the Giants inside the organization. But I don't know if that's even for sure. I think they're looking at him as, like, somebody who they like the fit, they like his attitude, they like his work ethic, and they're hoping he can get better overall in pass production to the point where they can count on moving forward. But I don't think they're locking him in like they're locking in Matt Parrott. I think they view Parrott and Lemieux very differently. And I also think if this were to happen, Zach Fulton would more than likely not make the team. Mm. Uh, and, and, and there's going to be other things that would happen. I mean, you add all these interior offensive linemen, it's going to essentially lead to other players being cut. And Zach Fulton, I think, hey, I support bringing in a veteran guy. He can compete. But if you were going to go into draft and address the interior offensive right. line like they are here, it's probably going to be a bye-bye unless he just dominates training camp and even a player like Will Hernandez falls off the cliff, which I don't expect to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's been talked about. It would be interesting if he could beat out Hernandez for that last roster spot. But I agree, if they do go two interior offensive offensive linemen, or even if not, if they go with my plan, which is Leatherwood, who's kind of like that yeah. hybrid, but can be considered interior. Now you got Parrott never getting cut. You have Lemieux, they're never going to cut, I don't think, this year at least. Oh, you have uh, Thomas, they're not going to cut. You have Solder, they're not going to cut based on the restructure. That's four non-cuts. Gates not cut, that's five. And then you have these two draft picks, you're not going to cut in year one, that's seven. How many offensive linemen are you really going to yeah. carry into a season? At most, eight. So at most, you have room for one more guy on that roster, at most. And that would be Hernandez. And they probably will. If you're drafting two, you're probably going to keep eight for this yeah. year. So now you have either Hernandez wins that final spot, Fulton wins that final spot, or do they actually go with Fulton and Hernandez and cut Lemieux, which I don't think will happen. So... I agree with you. There will be cuts, and it might be full. And they can also keep guys like Kyle Murphy on that practice squad. Yeah, right. Somebody who they like. Yeah, Yeah. but we'll see uh, how that all materializes. But who's your pick 196, bud? Yeah, so pick 196, before we get to the pick, I will say that, and we'll do this in another podcast, I have a five-step plan that I want to go over with you that I think would be a perfect plan for the Giants draft. But one thing that I talk about is this is where I really – get into why I'm so I'd be so interested in trading back at forty two. Not as interested at eleven, but open to eleven as well. Because I think it's a real shame and it's a real disadvantage for the Giants to go eighty picks in a row without having a draft pick. And that's what ha- they're currently slated because they made that Leonard Williams trade to go eighty picks in a row. Yeah. One sixteen to one ninety six. That's a lot of picks. There's a lot of players who can come in and potentially be the next Shane Lemieux for them, the next Darius Slayton, Darnay the next Holmes. Darnay Holmes. Three for real, Darnay Holmes. The next, you know, um, who's the other guy who's kind of made a uh, – I'm blanking on right Cam now. Cam Brown. Cam Brown, yeah. even. You know, Tay Crowder, you know, because obviously Crowder was drafted way later, but at the same time, it's in that – you could look at it like this. To me, once you get to round, 
I would say not round four. I would say because you at the top of round four where you have like Holmes and Love picked, there's still a lot of values that should have been potentially day one picks or day two picks at worst. But once you get into kind of that one. 40, 150 range of a draft. I think a lot of those players who were selected after that are in a very are in a much smaller and narrower margin than the picks would suggest. Like it's much narrower margin because like a Tate Crowder, for example, the Giants probably viewed him as a top 50, 150 prospect, even though other teams might have not based on their system fit. And even though Crowder ends up going a lot of a bunch of picks after maybe a Cam Brown, for example, I don't think they viewed them as too much different, honestly, as prospects. And obviously, so far Crowder's made a bigger impact, I think, on the Giants as well. Yeah, the one that's kind of odd is the fact that they took T.J. Brunson before him. True. And that, that might have been a Senior Bowl thing because uh, we know Dave Gettleman, and he yeah. loved T.J. Brunson down at the Senior Bowl. He loved the leadership that he had special at South teams. Carolina. He's a special teams guy. But then you wait for Tay Crowder, you know? You yeah. wait until the Mr. Irrelevant pick, and right. then he comes in, and he's the guy who is the impact you can even say impact starter. I mean, yeah, he has his faults, but for Mr. Irrelevant, I mean, that's a yeah. very good Mr. Irrelevant Easy. right there. I think you can make a case that Tate Crowder was as good as a rookie that Shane Lemieux is, even though people are viewing them as so different. It's a very a good point. Light. Uh, yeah. like, Crowder had his flaws on tape, so did Shane Lemieux. Crowder had his pluses on tape, so did Shane Lemieux. So it's kind of, they're not as far off as people kind of think of them, I think, right now going into 2021. But anyway, pick 196. I did another cluster drafting here, and so I don't even care. I don't. I could care less. I, there's a lot of positions I don't. I'm not going to take just to take a position. I'm taking value. I'm taking Penn State defensive end Shaka Tony here. Who actually Shaka. tested out really. First of all, it's an awesome name. It'd be cool to get Shaka Tony yeah. on your team. You know, Shaka Tony coming off the edge sounds pretty cool. To me. Sounds very badass. <laughs> sounds pretty badass to me. But. I also like Shaka Tony from what I've seen. I talked about this on Twitter a little bit. When I was watching Penn State players to see Jason Oa, to see Micah Parsons going back on 2019 stuff, Shaka Tony stood out too. And Shaka Tony stood out more than you would expect. And he was more productive than Jason Oa even last year. So I think ultimately he's a player who is small like you've talked about, and that's obviously could be very limiting at the next level. But we've seen players who are too small to play in the NFL or too small to play off the edge, cough, cough, Carter Coughlin actually have an impact in this Patrick Graham system. So I think specific to this system, a player like Shaka Tony could actually be a fine fit and make a fine transition. He tested much better than people expected. Now, again, these are the Penn State Pro Day testing numbers, which we've already gone over, are inflated and the most inflated of any team. But having said that, he did test well. So even if you knock that testing down a little bit and you just like kind of edit it a little bit, let's say, it's still good testing. So to get him at pick 196, I get my second edge here. I'm really excited to get another second-level defender who you can throw in and mix and match in different passing-down situations. Yeah, and he's somebody who has an array of pass rushing moves, really knows how to use his hands. He's very crafty. He's pretty explosive. He went down to the senior bowl, man, and I really wanted him to, to stick out more. I felt like he was just kind of getting thrown to the okay. ground. And his length and everything, I believe the measurable-wise, it wasn't, like, terrible. So I was like, ah, oh, man, he just looked small yeah. to me. But when you turn the film on, you can see that he's winning the half-man relationship, getting up the arc, has counter moves, has an inside spin, and he's able to win those one-on-one matchups against a tackle on an island, a player that's much bigger, much stronger than he is. But at this point of the draft, these are the kind of investments that you want to make. This is a guy who's technically sound. I believe he was a leader also mm-hmm. at Penn State. We've seen this coaching staff love leaders at Penn State with Cam Brown. Yeah. Obviously, Sean Spencer has that connection, Pat Flaherty. There's a connection there. We've brought that up several times. So I don't think this is a terrible selection right here. I just wish he was a little bigger, man, because I've just seen him get like bitched a little bit sure. too much, to be honest. That's fair. I mean, at pick 196, you're never going to get the perfect exactly. rush, I don't think, but yeah. Exactly. And uh, honestly, we got another problem. This guy gets like... Yeah, who are you going with at 196? <laughs> another cluster draft. It's an okay. edge. This guy gets some day two, uh, like, press, to be honest, and I think it's a little bit too rich for me, but it's Chris Rump, the second from right. Duke. And he's somebody who, now, before I went with Peyton Turner, much bigger guy, with one of those guys who can be on early downs if he gets a little bit bigger if he gets a little bit stronger taking on lateral blocks and stuff like that, because that's where he really struggled against the run, you know, those down blocks when he's aligned as a three technique when the, to the play side when a tackle comes blocking down. Sometimes he got washed a little bit. I want to get, see him be a little bit stronger with that. But on base blocks, when he can get his hands inside and uh, lock out and stick and get his play peekaboo and stuff like that, that's what Peyton Turner does well. Where with Chris Rump, he's more of a six foot three, two 235-pound. He can move a little bit. He's better in coverage, has better movement skills than someone like Peyton Turner's right. Different types of edges, but I think Turner is much better against a run than someone like Rump. 
to be honest. Rump might not be able to set the edge. A little bit more of a Carter Coughlin vibe mm. than that. Somebody who has a quick first step can get up the arc, has nasty counter moves, inside spin moves, but isn't necessarily technically sound yet, but just has a lot of athletic traits that lead him to be somebody that may interest you on day three. So that's why I ended up going with someone like Chris Rump out of Duke. And like you know, you got to bring in another Duke. Yeah, Blue like devil right here for Daniel Jones. Yeah, why not? Get him in there. I'd similar, I think, concepts and ideas, different style, prospect. But, again, as we move through now, we have a very similar draft. We, don't, we did not draft the same players in a lot of spots, but we have a very – it's interesting. We have a very similar draft just from the positions we selected. I think what that says is both of us, as I'm sure you guys are well aware of now, are value-based drafters. We're not reaching for positions at any point. We don't go through mock saying, I need one tight end, one D end, one wide receiver, two wide receivers. Now we got this guy, this guy. We're not taking it like that. We're yeah. not looking by position. This isn't fantasy football where you click a position and you search through each of the rankings of each position. We're taking the best players, and it's interesting that what we come to here is so far, at least through this uh, pick 196, we both have two edges, we both have two offensive linemen, and we both have one receiver. So that's kind of, I, to me, this is like where I want to go with the draft. I want to load up on these positions like edge and, and not necessarily edge. I think it just kind of felt like this. But I do want to get two offensive linemen if I can. There's a lot of good old linemen in this class. Yeah. And they're going to be available on second, third, with all of these second, third, fourth round picks. And then receiver at one, it's just like we both kind of feel like it's a, we're getting the best player on the board by far there with Waddle. Just with difference maker, man. Yeah. Straight difference. So that's kind of why we went there. I went, and, and then finally at pick 201, which is interesting, the Giants then have a pick. Only five picks later, it's their last pick on the draft currently, as it stands, because they traded away their seventh rounder as well for Isaac Yidem, I believe. Yep. And with that pick, this one, I don't think this guy has almost any chance of being on the board at 201. This guy, to me, has less of a chance of being on the board at 201 than Peyton Turner does at 76. But I will say this. Every single draft class I've done this for since I started doing this, I have said that about at least one wide receiver. So... Tip, spoiler, it's going to be a receiver. It's my second receiver of the draft. The cluster drafting continues. But I have said that about so many different players throughout these last few years. Who did I say about last year? Uh, well, I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones is one example. But there are even more examples of receivers. Who, a couple of years ago, Hakeem Butler was supposed to be an early pick, falls all the way to round four. I mean, some guys just fall based on not having the straight line speed, not having traits that teams are what that one trait teams are looking for. This guy, to me, we've talked about a bunch. We talked about him with Zach, the All Twenty Two podcast. Josh Palmer, wide receiver from Tennessee. I freaking love this guy. I mean, I think he's going to be the best value in this class at any position, to me at least. I think it's by far and away. Ultimately, I think he might go on round three at best. I think he'll end up going maybe early uh, round four. But here in this mock draft, we can get him at 201. So I'm just rushing to the podium with this. I don't even care about other positions at this point. I'm getting, in my opinion, by far and away the best guy in the draft here, the Tennessee wide receiver. Why do I like him? I think he wins vertically often and early. I think he has good tape against some of the best corners in this class. And I think ultimately he's kind of that total package receiver who I can think can be similar, make a similar impact to what Darius Slayton made for the Giants in his early season, even right away early on. But at worst, he can be a potential replacement for Slayton if Slayton doesn't continue to evolve. As that outside receiver, you can then continue to use Waddle in the slot as you maybe move on from Sterling Shepard moving forward. you got Galladay, Waddle, potentially Josh Palmer developing there. And so there's a lot of options for this offense if they add a player like Josh Palmer. He's another player that vertically just does excellent in terms of tracking the football, concentrating, high-pointing the ball over smaller defensive backs or even defensive backs who are comparable in size. I really like Josh Palmer's game, and I think he's just not being talked about as much because he suffered in Tennessee's offense. Right. So that's just something that he has to deal with. But in terms of his skill set, I feel like it's very, And that was a bad passing game in Tennessee. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, they should be good. They have great recruiting, but yeah. It's another Michigan-type situation there, blue-eyed receivers. I think you're getting value there when you take guys – from that program just based on, you know, that they didn't get to play with a good quarterback, that they didn't get to play. In up-tempo passing game, really, to be honest, like any passing game with any kind of consistency, you never saw that out of Tennessee. And we talk about this a lot with Penn State, but there's the guy who recruited Josh Palmer, Derek Dooley, on staff, and there's also Jeremy Pruitt, who is on staff. So who's going to know Josh Palmer better than the two former head coaches of the Tennessee Volunteers? Which makes me think the Giants might actually have him take him a little higher, maybe 76 or 116. You might be surprised to see, but you might see him come off the board to the Giants. Before we get into my pick, and I think this is interesting, there might be the biggest disconnect of any year between the NFL and the media this season. I agree with that 100%. I think that the actual drafts are going to play out so differently than what we're seeing in the mocks, and people are going to go crazy when they see it. It's going to be awesome, dude. They're going to go nuts. This is 
horrible pick, or this is a great pick based on just these dumb media mocks. I don't want to call them dumb, yeah. but let's be honest, they're not great when you really consider, like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of these mock drafts are from people who aren't really grinding the film of 150 prospects, don't have the time to do it, or yeah. don't have, in my opinion, really the skill set to do it. And so a lot of these mocks end up being garbage to me. And then when you cycle so many in and you're taking such a large sample size of them, it's even more garbage because there's so much groupthink and there's so much of that going on in it. So ultimately, don't look at the Giants' picks or any other team's picks and then compare them to the mocks that you're seeing and be like, this is an incredible value or this is a horrible value because these NFL teams know a lot more than these mock drafts, these media mock drafts do. Absolutely. I mean, they have scouts that are sending, well, they used to at least send all to their teams. I mean, this year it was a little bit more limited, but I believe scouts were still able to go to games, but obviously there were so many more restrictions, so the scouting process was imperfect, which it always is anyways, to be honest. My... Last pick in this draft. Yeah, where'd you go with, buddy? So, I went with an offensive tackle from Iowa. Wow, your third offensive lineman. My third offensive lineman. feeling it on the O-line. I am feeling it on the O-line. And this may, I mean, like we talked about before, this would definitely spell the end to a guy like Zach Fulton, to be honest with you. But this is not an interior guy. This is more of a developmental tackle. I think this is somebody who wouldn't make the final roster but land on the practice squad and hopefully develop. And you hope that he can develop because he was a four-year starter in the Big Ten, and that is Iowa's Alaric Jackson, who has dealt with injuries in the past. And he's somebody who I feel like plays a little bit high, doesn't have the fastest feet, but he's somebody who absorbs contact very well, handles counters very well, is a smart player, and somebody who has a lot of good tape, but is also somebody who has been hindered by injuries recently. A lot of people, like, I mean, around the Iowa program, were talking about him, like, this is the next, you know, big thing. He was the left tackle over someone like Tristan Wirfs, who was used on the right side. And I think you're getting this guy in the 200. It's a good developmental pick to kind of bring in. You need to lower that center of gravity, maybe improve that core strength a little bit more, even though his lower body strength and the posterior strength, the ability to absorb contact is all very, very good. He did that well in college. I wish he had a stronger senior bowl showing, to be honest. He didn't really, but you're getting him here in the what the end of the sixth round. I think this is good value for a player like Larry Jackson, who before this season, people were mocking him at the end of the first round. So another BPA type of situation, high upside. Let's just bring in a lot of bodies, develop him. Don't think he'll crack the final roster. Put him on the practice squad, have him develop with his coaching staff and with his team. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it a step further. I think this is more than just a good value pick. I think this is a great value pick. I would say this is the best value in, in your class and maybe, you know, with the exception of Palmer, maybe either of our classes because – just take it down, like, if you just break this thing down, I agree, there's all these these issues which are leading him to be here. You know, he didn't have the greatest senior bowl. He played injured a lot of his career at he Iowa. Did, yeah. And so he doesn't have the best tape based on that. It's kind of like um, the Wisconsin center out of last year, Tyler Biotish, who didn't have the greatest tape in 2019 because he was playing hurt. Cowboys didn't look, look past that, looked at his 2018 tape, looked at his overall profile and they drafted him he was really good as a rookie really really good as a rookie for what he should have been drafted that late in the draft fourth round and you shouldn't be getting starters in the fourth round he was able to play at a starter level for them due to injuries on their offensive line so i think it could be a similar situation here with Larrick if you just break it down to kind of the nuts and bolts of it which is one there's probably a reason he was starting at left tackle instead of tristan Wirfs when they were both on that roster and that says a whole lot because we know already tristan Wirfs is trending to like john ledyard said not our own words john ledyard said potential hall of fame career and john ledyard said he should have been the offensive rookie of the year last year i agree with him tristan Wirfs should have been the offensive rookie of the year last year I think offensive linemen make that much of a difference. And I don't think that team makes the Super Bowl and wins the Super Bowl without Tristan Wirfs. If they had taken a receiver there or some or some D-back who didn't play that great in his first year, I don't think they win the Super Bowl. I think that Tom Brady with a liability at right tackle would have been a totally different situation there for Tampa. So you look at that, and then you also look at the fact that Iowa offensive linemen have a really good track record in the NFL because mm-hmm. they get really good coaching and development there. And like you said, there are flaws in his game, but then he also has – the benefit of playing with that coaching for that many years and kind of working his way through that program. So I love this pick, and I love your draft class. I think I'd be ecstatic with my mock. How do you feel if your mock, if your mock played out for the I, Giants? I would like uh, my mock as well. I mean, yeah. just getting Jalen Waddle, Creed Humphrey, and then Peyton Turner. I feel like those are three impact players, which are first three picks. Aaron Banks has the upside to definitely be a starter in year one and also be an impact player. So, I mean, I would love my draft class. And then Rumpf and Jackson, a more developmental Rumpf, somebody who I feel like can fit with Patrick Graham because he has that ability, similar to Carter Coughlin. Right. So people could say, oh, well, he's just another Carter Coughlin. It's like they are still different players. 
but mm-hmm. I do believe that he can come off the edge when asked. He can drop into coverage, can play a little bit of linebacker if asked to do so. Was a leader at Duke, had all those kind of intangibles off the field. You're right. getting him in the sixth round. I think that's a solid addition. So I would be really ecstatic if my draft ended up coming true, although I do want them to trade down. We didn't do trade downs here. Mm-hmm. I would like right. some sort of trade down at some point. Like you said, 80 picks. I mean, that is a long time yeah, a long to go. Yeah. And I would like yours, too. I mean, I'm Kendrick Green is somebody I don't know a lot about, but I love what I've heard from him. And I don't hate Alex Leatherwood. I'm not saying that. I just like some of the other guys that were available. So yeah. I think bringing Alex Leatherwood in, a guy who started in the SEC on a national championship team as a left tackle, that would be great for the second round, to be honest, to help kind of have him compete with these rest of these guys who are relatively unproven right now. So I would be happy with either of these draft classes. And I'll say this. I'll be happy with just about any Alabama players the Giants take because it will give me the feeling that they have an insight onto who they are as not just off the field, but in the sense of their practice. It's so important with these guys to know what, like John Ledger had said it on our podcast, and I think he makes this point and it's never talked about enough. How much do these guys, one, love the game, but also two, want to become the best player they can possibly become? Like how important is it to them? How, and he said that when he was talking about Peyton Turner, like he doesn't know that, but he's like, if he is the type of player who this is really important to him and he really loves the game, he can be this type of NFL love player. Like the ceiling is now this. And I think for the Giants, because they have all those connections to Alabama, it's going to help them because they're going to know if they take a Landon Dickerson or if they take an Alex Leatherwood or if they take a Jalen Waller or not. They're going to know how much these guys love the game and want to be the best they can possibly be. And that's huge, I think. So just to recap, Nick's mock draft, he went Jalen Waddell, Alabama receiver, first round. He went Creed Humphrey, Oklahoma, offense will call him interior offensive lineman in the second round. He went edge rusher Peyton Turner out of Houston in the third round. He went Notre Dame interior offensive lineman Aaron Banks in the uh, fourth round. In the fifth round, did you go with? Or I'm sorry, in the uh, yeah, in the sixth, sixth round, Chris Rump, Chris Rump, the, the Duke edge, and then Alaric Jackson, the Iowa offensive tackle, with the last pick at 201. I went Jalen Waddle, Alabama receiver at 11. Alex Leatherwood, Alabama offensive tackle guard, slash guard, I'll call him, at 42. I went with Peyton Turner, the edge, at 76. At 116, I went Illinois interior offensive lineman Kendrick Green. Then at 196, I went Penn State edge Shaka Tony. And finally at 201, I took Tennessee wide receiver Josh Palmer. So that's our mock. That's our seventh round mock. This is our first YouTube video. We're pretty excited to do it. Let us know feedback, what you like, what you didn't like. Do you want us to look at the camera more? Do you want us to look at each other more? I had a really fun time looking at Nick, but, um, you know, he's a good-looking guy. But if it's not the way this thing's going to go and we and it's better to look at the camera, just let me know because we're looking for feedback. This is our setup here. We got – do you know who this is? We're, we're trying to figure out if everyone's going to know who this jersey was. So we'll leave it there. We'll let you tell. Tell us in the comments if you think you know this, comment, uh, this player is up there. You should all know this. If you don't know, though, we won't kill you for it. So anyway, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon.